episode 42 with Lyndon Purcell. In today's episode, I sit down with a very cerebral individual and we talk about a multitude of topics, including objective honesty, the art of effective communication, and the backward usage of belittlement within the fitness industry, and some more. So I think you'll enjoy. Lyndon is the manager of education services to a leading health and fitness service provider, JPS Health and Fitness in Melbourne, Australia. He is also a very rational, critical thinker who enlightens as he takes you through his writings in a fair but deliberate manner. I would highly encourage you to check out his writings at thereforethink.org. If you love the episode and would like to support the podcast, I would ask for you to please head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave me, or the podcast rather, a five-star review and tell the friend about the podcast. If you're here from Instagram, what's up? I would highly appreciate, very much appreciate, uh, if you would share a screenshot of the podcast on your story and be sure to tag me at Austin Current. Enjoy the conversation. What's up, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly doing quite well, thank you. Um, I'm enjoying isolation life, I guess, for, for all that it is. Um, definitely have like a cerebral awareness of like other people struggling. And I guess that's sort of like the second order thought of that is like, I don't want anyone to struggle. So that sort of like, you know, when you know people are suffering in the world, that that's unfortunate. But from a purely um, individualistic standpoint, like, things are well, I'm learning lots, writing lots, um, getting work done. All my clients are relatively happy, happy, all things considered. So yeah. How's things with you? Yeah, man. Good. The same. I am a, I'm in the same boat as far as in a weird spot mentally with the idea that I don't know what it is. So let me see. Let's, let's see if we can hash that out. Um, Mm -hmm. you may be a little, um, more with it as far as that side of things go. Um, so as far as like my mental state with all of it is, you know, I'm in a position very fortunately where I've only had a few people, you know, maybe a handful of people total drop off. Um, but going into this, I mean, our company's completely based online. So, and we have been for the past six years. And so it's one of those things that, you know, we're not really affected by it. And I'm fortunate to have another project that's paying me as well while I work on it. So it's one of those things that I feel very fortunate. So from an individualistic standpoint, I'm very fortunate. I feel very fortunate. And, you know, don't even speak, but I, I think like yourself, I'm more of like kind of a homebody and I'd rather sort of just be on my own um, if I could be. Um, so or in like a very small group if, if necessary. Um, but as far as that goes, basically the, what I'm getting towards here is, is just, there's this sense of like you, I feel for that struggle and I, I don't want other people to be struggling. And I almost feel as if, you know, there's that sense or that feeling you, you have or go through that's kind of like, I don't feel like I should be fine with as good as I am with this during this time. And 
is that a wrong feeling to have? And I, I know that's not necessarily a wrong feeling to have it as much as just, just is what it is. But yeah, I don't know where, where that, um, cut, where that lies. And if you kind of have a similar feeling. Yeah, I very much, um, I feel like I have experienced very similar things. I was speaking to someone the other day and it was sort of just, you know, that, that initial intro to the conversation that probably everyone's sort of having, it's like, oh, you know, times are tough, like how you doing sort of a thing. And I, but I, it probably made the conversation slightly more awkward than what it needed to be. But I was like, I honestly don't like feel like times are tough. Like, and that sort of wasn't the the answer they were ready for, but I was just like, look, I, I think I would be, um, I would be doing it. Yeah. Disservice to to everyone out there that is sort of doing it tough for me to consider like isolation tough. Like I've still got plenty of food, as you said, I love staying at home. Um, yeah, it's, it's odd. Um, and like even sort of conversations around that point, people like, Oh, well, you know, at least we'll all come out of it stronger on the other side. And, um, I was like to a degree that is probably true, but I think to come out stronger, like you need to, in an, in an abstract sense have to have like suffered through something. And, and again, like I'm, I'm not convinced I'm going to be just a stronger, better person just because six months, 12 months down the line, like, yes, if I dedicate time to you know, thinking about what's going on trying to understand what other people are going through, learning throughout the process, like I'm, I would like to think I can be a better person on the other side of that, but I, I don't think just mere existence through this time will just, result in that if that makes sense yeah so i mean we have a telltale throughout history of this happening right like i think one of the most glaring things is people who are still alive from you know the like the holocaust for example and they're still telling their stories on different podcasts or you know through mediums such as as books and and stuff like that um and i i agree with you to the sense where it unless you're living through it and actually struggling, I'm not quite sure how much of an impact it's going to have on you. Like long-term, especially, because if you look at kind of like that hedonic scale and the, the treadmill we're on, we're constantly just defaulting back to a previous state of general okayness, um, which is just, it is what it is too. But I find that very interesting to think about, like you said it, in the sense where, we theoretically should be better off as a as an entire culture but we all also know that is not going to be the case because if history's told us anything it's that that's not going to be the case and we're just going to go about things pretty similar to what they were i'm assuming granted whatever changes happen at a at a macro level um and, you know, obviously we have different, we're both from different countries with different leadership. Um, and I don't want to get too, I don't want to get political here, but um, it's, it's very interesting to see how it's all being handled and what the motives truly are and, and the language that's being used at that, at that level. And, but anyways, man, it, it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that um, because, you know, for myself, I've gone through, uh, and for people listening to the podcast, have heard me talk about this, but you know, over the past two or so years, it's just been kind of a, it was 
2018 was a very down year uh, for me. That was very stressful. And 2019 was, was kind of a rebuilding year. And I'm, 2020 has just kind of been this, all right, I feel kind of back to baseline. Um, and, and I feel adept to make a decision that seems to be a good decision to make. Because before, whatever decision I made was either second-guessed or just chalked up to I'm just saying that because I'm in this situation. Like, is that actually what I want or is that, I just, do I just want out of this? Um, and so I finally feel like I'm, I'm in a situation where I can make a decision and just say like, I think that's, that has true motives under or kind of beneath it um, or kind of feeling that. But to, to have perspective on how I feel this year comparative to how I felt over the past two years I had to go through that struggle specifically to now feel like I do now. But I also know there's way too many days out of the week and month that I take all that for granted. I throw it out the window almost immediately. And depending on how the day started and how it's going so far, it's just a matter of, you know, a day that can be, man, what a perspective I have now based off of those events but all it takes is one day. And as you know, you know, I think you would agree in the sense of like, if you win four days in a row and you lose the fifth, all that's on your mind is that fifth. That's all that's on your mind. Um, but I find that incredibly, incredibly interesting. And I think you're spot on as, as far as it goes with, um, I, I think you're going to have the folks who are struggling right now, the most hopefully are able to, make it through it, but also kind of see an adjustment or, or, or make a maybe pivot, um, with decision-making and, and preparation towards making better decisions, basically. Hmm. I think, yeah, it's interesting. Um, just to your point about sort of how personal circumstances may prepare each of us or do prepare each of us for situations like this. Um, but yeah, I guess there's, I see roughly four categories of people um, coming out or through this process and, and ultimately um, half of the category or two, two of the major categories are the people that are struggling and the people that are not. And we are probably both falling into that for the most part, not at this stage. And then there's people that will still come out of that better having not necessarily struggled and there's other people that will still probably just maintain the status quo during that time. And then if we look at the other category, those that you know will do it more tough. Um, unfortunately it's just, yeah, it's no guarantee that they will be better off for it. Like developing resilience or, or adapting in a, in a beneficial sense uh, still takes certainly some effort and some, some forethought and, just to a degree like lucky beneficial circumstances around you um and i certainly don't don't really have much much more to add than that i guess i'm just trying to yeah i still just i think we're too still obviously too close to the event and we're still inside it to know exactly how it's going to transpire but i definitely think there are at least interesting conversations beginning to take place about how much we will revert back to the status quo or how much will this just be 
like a fork in the road of, of history sort of a thing. And like, not that there's ever a plotted path, you know, for history that you just live out in a linear fashion. Um, but uh, I was listening to a podcast um, with Esther Perel and Tim Ferriss the other day. Uh, and she was speaking about the, like the disaster literature and how it basically just speeds up everything. Um, and this is something I certainly wasn't aware of until I listened to it, but after sort of disasters, there's more marriages, more divorces and like more children born sort of thing. Like there's been the joke about, you know, there's going to be lots of babies born after isolation, but it very much does get people into the, the life is short mindset. Um, and yeah, sorry, the last point I'll make is just, it's interesting, as we said, about how personal circumstances sort of uh, lead into these things. Like it was, um, you know, it's, it's still less than than 12 months since uh, my younger brother died. And, and like I was going through that life is short. Like it, I was almost perfectly prepared for this, having gone through like, you know, the darkest period of my life to date. And then this comes along and it's kind of like, on the psychological level, I don't think we tend to have absolute measures. We just have relative contrasts and this still just seems like an upgrade, I guess, if that makes sense. Like on the net balance, you wouldn't say it's an ideal situation, but from what someone's just come through, it seems tolerable, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure if I added anything interesting there. but No, I think you did. Yeah. I, I appreciate your, I, I, I appreciate what you said and I think I want to just ask you, you know, obviously I don't want this, you know, to be the whole conversation, but you're, you're someone that I knew would be honest and would kind of just shoot it straight. And, and, um, to be objectively honest, doesn't always come off as, um, comforting in a lot of ways. Uh, and there's parts of my existence, uh, that my, I've been, I guess, married three years now. Um, and within that three years, it's kind of, I've learned, I'm someone who's very honest to a fault. Uh, and I've learned how to kind of adjust based off circumstance uh, and situation. So um, kind of just getting better at that. But I, I wanted to ask you, and I appreciate your answer, and I appreciate kind of you um, putting some effort towards that or that. So I know like this is kind of the, the talk that everyone's kind of kind of maybe having at, at the beginning of their their shows or their podcast episodes or anything like that but i wanted to at least get your because i find your your thought processes and your ability to critically think through things and be objectively honest um and kind of just look look at things objectively in that manner uh i appreciate that about the way you think so i wanted to at least ask what you thought of the the current and how you were doing essentially yeah, well, well, thank you. That was all um, massively complimentary. So, well, <laughs> probably depending on, you know, that's all subjective at that point, but honesty and objectivism are complimentary from my standpoint. Um, yeah, I'm, as I said, I, th I think that is, you know, the, the context of where my thought process are at, at the moment. I think there'll be on a macro level some, some wild innovation that will go on uh, through this time. Uh, I'm probably of 
uh, the Tyler Cowan opinion that in-person contact will never go back to, to probably what it was. Um, I think we will demand more from our in-person contact than what we did previously. It's like, um, yeah, it's all very interesting. And from a, from a thought exercise sort of perspective, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, but also trying to temper those thoughts with you are very fortunate that you aren't going through this directly. And the fact you can enjoy this as an intellectual experience is, uh, it's a luxury for sure. Yeah. It's a privilege. And I, that's something I, I've said before in the sense where, you know, I've, there's things that, you know, that we say that we have to kind of check ourselves based off the privilege that we live with. And, you know, things that have come out of my mouth, I, I tend, to, I like to think at least that I, I tend to think before I speak. Um, but there are things that I say or have said in the past. I will say that I, after the fact, I, I'll hop off or after I've said them even, I'm just like, what? Did I not even, I didn't even consider what the ramifications of that coming out of my mouth were not on anyone else's like, you know, maybe they didn't even hear it or consider it. Um, but the way that it came out was just, you know, either privileged or entitled or, you know, just without thought And that that's something that I'm, you know, constantly trying to get better at. But I, within that same, that thing, that same thought to think and have time to think and consider and be introspective itself is a privilege and a luxury that we, I think a lot of us take for granted. Um, and so that's, that's the thing that I find, I think most interesting as well is the population of individuals who aren't so fortunate right now are also that we think would get the most out of this in terms of if they were able to build resilience or, or redefine their decision-making process or, um, kind of reevaluate their, their ability to, to for, foresee cause and effect. But in terms of that, they're the ones that are most impacted by the ability to have no time to think about what they can improve upon within or after this, which I find, I don't know if irony is the right word, but I, I find it interesting um, nonetheless. So yeah, I don't know if you had anything to span on. If you don't, then we can just- No, that's, right I think you made a brilliant point. That's fine. Okay. Um, so I wanted to kind of crack, crack into um, the motivations for your site, man. Uh, I'm a big fan of your, your writing. And these are conversations um, that I sometimes have with myself in my own mind. Uh, but I think you do an excellent job at articulating it and laying out a, a very fair, fair point um, on the topics at least you've written on so far, which, which I appreciate. But um, for those listening, uh, just kind of go through what that site is. And uh, for my own selfish endeavors, um, what was the motivations behind what was the driving force behind that? Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with the site and then work back to me. Uh, the site is, it's called thereforethink.org. Um, it is a project that I've undertaken with the person I would call like my mentor. Um, he's a few years older than myself. Um, he has a wildly successful career career and hasn't necessarily had a, a tremendous amount of time to put 
you know, finger to keypad to, to type out some words. But um, he very much, to his credit, has helped me build this platform knowing that it could potentially better my career, my life, probably more so than what it pays him um, in return. So uh, I, I guess I'm trying to to drive things as much as I can and I certainly respect his ability to uh, not try to feel like a, a one-to-one face for the site. Like I guess if people think of therefore think and think of me, like he is not necessarily stressed about that. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll say that initially, but, um, I have always been wildly interested in intellectual ideas. Uh, I think ideas are here effectively what govern our lives and how we operate as a society. Um, and I've just gained, I think a lot of value from learning and knowing things and there's so many things that I wish to share. I guess like I have a real, um, this is probably slightly tangential from, from the point, but how about it? I was, I was saying to someone the other day about the distinction between uh, being like a polymath or a specialist or, or a generalist or a specialist and something like that. I think it's very important that you probably have one or two areas of knowledge that you know, you know pretty well so you can have a career and whatnot. However, I think when it comes to seeing value and appreciation just in the world around you, having a diverse range of knowledge is, is key. Like I think of sort of like Michael Pollan uh, who wrote in the book, like how to change your mind and whatnot. Like he can sit in his armchair and just look into his garden and have a, like an overwhelming amount of appreciation for his garden because he comes from that, like, is it botany, um, you know, science mm-hmm. of plants, whatever. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson can look up and just have so much appreciation for the things above his head. But if, if you don't know about astrophysics or botany or whatnot, you don't extract the same amount of value and appreciation. So I guess something I've found as just a bit of a, personal project is trying to learn about as many sort of disparate ideas as I can so that I can maybe, you know, on the net average, enjoy life a little bit more. Uh, in regards to the site specifically, I'm probably trying to, to walk that line between presenting interesting ideas or presenting common ideas, but the flip side that, that tends not to be considered. Uh, I don't, I don't, I guess, like being necessarily considered a contrarian because I, I would hope that my viewpoint isn't just automatically the opposite of what is mostly considered. Right. However, I, yeah, I, I guess you were, you again, complimentary in regards to saying that I, I try and present both sides. And I, I guess I just try to, I think this, this probably summarizes it. I think the general public or whoever we are sort of considering is reading this are probably more intelligent and more capable of deeper thought than we tend to give them credit for. I'm not saying necessarily you or I, but um, I think back to 
back to my friends from small country town, like they aren't considered intellectuals or they aren't considered, you know, the kind of people that will give massively insightful views on politics. But when I go back and visit them, I have conversations with them and they say things that like, if you actually listen to them, they understand human behavior, human judgment, decision-making, like they have lived in their 27 years, as many years as I have in my 27 years. And I guess what I'm trying to do in part is just give them some, give some people uh, some footholds into that conversation, like just trying to, trying to give them some ideas to play with, to expand their mind and their ideas a little bit. Um, Because I guess, going all over the place here, but like I do just worry that people get a little too absorbed in their social media feed and, you know, they, they live lives that they don't even know to look in the peripheral vision of their lives. Like they, they're just so very one track minded and I'm kind of trying to jump up here and there, be like, Hey, if you look over here, you'll, you'll find there's some interesting stuff. So I guess that's probably a blend of what the site is and, and where my own personal interest and ideas of trying to take it come from yeah thank you i I think i think too the the singular track of thought through whatever screen you're looking into is something that's very easy to get wrapped up in um you know i notice so obviously you know we're to an extent at least um you know we're all products of our environment and i think it's important to like you said, explore different arenas um, or kind of what does Neil uh, Tyson use as his, I don't think he uses as like universal perspective. There's a, there's a word that he uses. It's not, I don't think it's universal perspective, but it's, um, no, it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's basically this concept and, you know, I've, I've read a few different, a uh, few of his books and I love the way that he communicates. And as someone who aspires kind of as a lifelong goal to become a better communicator and teacher of things an educator all around, I, I think the way that he's able to communicate um, broadly, but specifically and fairly, but also with an incredible amount of perspective. Um, and kind of like this universal perspective in a way, uh, I'm still not getting it right, but I'm getting closer, I think. Um, it's not really that important, but as, as far as that goes, I think you're right in that manner of like, the more that I learn about things outside of myself, outside of the screen in front of me, the outside of the social media feed, the more I'm able to selfishly feel more fulfilled and satisfied with what I do have. Um, and, you know, the more you learn about the, the cosmos themselves um, and the fact of how many things had to go right and wrong for us to even have this conversation right now is mind blowing. And to that point there is no sense or logic to think really 
besides us working backwards from what we know now, for us to even be here having this conversation. And so I think by default, using that logic, I'm appreciative for what I get to feel each and every day and what I'm able to experience, good or bad. Um, and in that same sense, you know, I, I think it's important within that to experience some bad along with, you know, all the things that are good, because uh, like you mentioned uh, towards the beginning, to know something is good is to feel something that was bad because it's good and bad are, are relative terms um, based off your perspective and life experience, right? So in that same sense too, you could have two individuals, let's say for all purposes here, the example we talked about earlier, perspective on individuals who went through the Holocaust, unimaginable to someone who is, you know, their roommate drank their almond milk and their, someone didn't like their post on Instagram, both two different individuals given the same, let's say given the, given the same prompt or something in front of them, let's say this pandemic, two completely different, you know, same event, different life experience, different perspective on things. And you have two different, like drastically different perspectives on what is currently happening, how they're perceiving it, how grateful they are for the things that they do have instead of the, the things that are being taken away because of this, for, for example. Um, but I like that in the, in the sense where on your site in, in the way that you write and kind of give, give thought um, in Lynn perspective, it has that sense of like, like Neil writes as well in the, in the, in the way where, okay, I'm going to give you something broad and specific, but also fair. And I'm going to let you just work through that. And there's no, and at the end, and what I, what I like about the, um, the articles that I've read so far is like at the end, it's just the end that there's no, this is a recap. It's just, this is it. That was, you read it. It's just over now. You can leave a comment if you'd like. Um, but I, I, you know, that's something I appreciate because like, there is no, there is no agenda. There is no, well, these are my thoughts and let me reiterate my thoughts based off of what I just wrote. It, it's just a matter of like, this is what I wrote. Well, thank you. That is, um, I really appreciate that. Like that is a brilliant articulation of like what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, because I guess since since writing, like I've had a lot of, um, fortunately, nice feedback, but a lot of people have sort of been like, you write really long articles, um, you know, maybe shorten them a little and like you appeal to a broad, like more people would read them. And I was like, that is the shortest article I can write <laughs> while still feeling and being fair to my, yeah, like the perspective, my own thoughts. Like, as, as you said, like honesty is honestly one of my, my primary values that I like remind me to come back to that. Um, but I, yeah, like even like writing short articles was one thing and then other people have suggested, yeah, maybe just like a, a conclusion where you, you, you fire off your main points again, but 
it's like it's the same sort of problem i'm not sure if i can distill it down to and i think i will experiment with this like just to see um as much as i certainly appreciate um you saying you value me not doing that uh from potentially my own exercise just see if i can still give some dot points that are very fair but i at my current stage of development i guess i haven't felt like i have the skill set to do that like that is it's very tricky to to not give a biased perspective if you're going to give a, a sort of a dot point conclusion um and i guess going back to the point um about fairness so you don't have to or honesty so you don't have to remind me um it's when we consider that uh those two people someone someone drank their almond milk and you've got the person that that uh you know it's fine like you know it's life goes on sort of a thing it's it's two bucks i'll get it um or the other person that it, it does bother them okay and in that situation i guess i've been considered to be unempathetic because often i i will say look like, like you know I'll, I'll try and pat it out a little bit but look i think you're overreacting like this this is not a big deal in the overall scheme of things and i guess the, the common response is sort of you know we're not all as logical and reasonable as you are or you know something like to be considered sensitive you need to somewhat uh be able to connect with someone's feelings and i, I do appreciate that but i guess my care for people i really do think sits the second the second level above that it's like for this person to i think to have the best life they can possibly have given this moment in time they need to be told this kind of reaction isn't necessarily appropriate i think given the circumstances i could appeal to them and their emotions in this time like yeah you know what your housemate was an asshole like he you know he shouldn't have drank that almond milk and and that's what a lot of people tend to do and and that is, it's probably important. We all have friends like that that will just let us be. But I've found, I think, my utility function is highest as a person if I can just honestly tell people what I think. I, I don't think anyone's really, you know, on average better, uh, worse off for being just told the truth or my conception of it at least. Not long term. I think, yeah. yeah, you and I are similar in that way. Uh, and again, like objective honesty can be taken differently um, from others. And a lack of, because I don't think it's, I don't think it's a lack of empathy in that regard as much as just a lack of sympathy within that moment and kind of going with, going along with their narrative. Because um, honestly, that's much easier to do, isn't it? It's much easier for you to just be like, yeah, fuck that guy. Much easier. It's over. It's, it's gone. And I think that's a lazy, I think it's a, the lazy man's kind of guidebook to social interaction. Just go around agreeing with what everyone's saying. Um, use the laziest part of human connection. And that's to, that's to dog or down someone else that they, you know, they don't like. Um, and there you go. You have a ton of friends and you're very social and you're connected. You get what you want typically. 
Um, and I think that explains a lot of people. And I think that's why it explains I don't have a lot of friends. Um, I bet you have quality ones. Quality ones, exactly. Um, very quality ones. And I think it just to you know kind of expand, it's just, I think it's the harder and not good or bad, um, not attaching anything like, oh, we're, we're the best here. But I think it's important. I think it's crucial to have, I think it's crucial to have, like you said, or it can be helpful to have people on both sides of that, that spectrum, you know, like my, you know, let's just take parents, for example, like my mom by default, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right. If like, there's a conflict between me and a friend by default, I'm right. Whatever it needs to be. I know, I know, son, you're right. And that's not helpful for me long-term because then I don't, I always one think I'm right. And then I don't learn how to, to ask or evaluate or, or better examine that actual behavior or, or judgment I placed on that other person. Um, and that's why I think it's important to have the other end, which I think more or less where we lie is all you really want to say is, yeah, who cares? Like, I don't buy a different one, you know, like there's another one there. Mm. or yep okay it'll take 10 minutes we'll just go buy another one awesome mm. we're on with our day and make a difference um now i you know there's some things to be said about you know are, do you watch friends yep so there's a there's something to be said about eating ross's sandwich right that has the note on it on the on the account of my rage right so it's <laughs> it's it's a matter of like there's bigger questions to be asked in that situation. Like how much do you disrespect me to, to drink what you know is mine? I don't care that you drank it fundamentally, but I care that you drank it from a sense of like, why did you drink it knowing it wasn't yours? Mm-hmm. Or like, why did you eat that? <laughs> you know? No, I, I think you're, you're on the money though. Like the, the key in those situations is to, I think just delay your immediate reaction. Like on net average, people are going to be better off for, for delaying their immediate reaction to something. Like you open the fridge, your almond milk's gone. You're like, oh, man, this guy. But then you, like the best approach is typically not to stew on it and like write out the exact barrage of arguments you're going to hit them with when they come home. It's the shower argument. Un- yeah. Yeah. Like understand why they did it. Maybe they got that phone call and they've been called in for that job interview that, you know, they were preparing for or something like that. And they had to rush and it was like, Oh man, some Nutrigrain and almond milk. Like I'll get him back in the long run. He'll understand. Like, but if then you go and like jam the argument in his face, like the second he comes in the door, he's potentially, you know, over the moon because he's just had a really successful argument. And then it's now you've got a disconnect. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's always important. We do try and understand the other person's perspective. Um, and that is obviously equally, if not more important for people like you and I, who are probably more likely to just speak about the context of the situation and be like, it's not that big a deal. Whereas we still need to remember to connect with that person and be like, look, in 
you know, there's a there's an objective reason they're displaying this reaction that like their brain chemistry is doing a certain thing like they're just enacting how they feel sort of a thing like they didn't program themselves to respond in this way this is just what they're executing and it's if we think we are calm and able to see the truth of the situation we we should be able to you know lead them to it like if we value what we do as people i guess yeah and i think that's important to to kind of draw it back to you know there's a there's a larger majority of coaches who listen kind of in the listenership here so i think it's important as a coach or as a trainer or a, a mentor for someone in some capacity or kind of a, a a leader in some way that you're able to sympathize with that situation and display, you know, empathetic feelings towards how they're going through this, how their, their mind is executing on the situation, whether that's a social event that they're stressed about or a binging episode, or they completely went off the rails with their training, um, due to one event that really was not a big deal. Um, but I think it's on on behalf of being someone who, you know, educators or, or teachers um, or a coach on behalf of your client, but I think even more so, maybe not even more so, but equally so on behalf of someone who's educating. Um, and I, I listened to your conversation with Eric um, Helms and one that James kind of mediated in terms of the kind of the call out culture. And I thought you put it very well in the, the sense where when you're teaching, when you're teaching, correct me here, cause I'm going to butcher it. So when you're teaching someone, you have to be able to put yourself in their headspace and understand what they try and understand what they understand. Um, and to kind of go on two years ago, I think it was maybe a year and a half, no, almost two years ago now, a year and a half ago, sorry, year and a half ago, I put out a post where I, I kind of just had this, this idea in my mind of things that I, one thing in particular that I just saw inherently wrong. And I don't, quite see a positive that comes out of it. And maybe you can expand on the other end of this. And that's belittlement over trying to truly educate someone. Um, and I think it comes kind of in that call out culture, which kind of draws back to my point is we know people, we know individuals who have built a career off belittling others and kind of like Eric referenced myth busting, but not even myth busting, helpfully it's just myth busting by belittling that other individual uh as as a character as a human as, as an individual on this planet um and everything they stand for regardless of the point you're trying to make um and i just don't quite understand i guess the where people see that as helpful um, and then kind of just this, the, I made like the, 
kind of the the image was just education greater than belittlement. Um, and that's something that I'm always trying to revert back to in, in my communications with people online or people in person or people I'm trying to educate on some, teach something to, um, or if I get any reverb, because I, I used to get a lot of reverb on social. Um, so I lived in Australia in 2017. Um, and that's when my social reach grew. Uh, so in 2017, I think I went from like 15,000 followers to 215 ish thousand followers. And I've been dwindling since not important, but the thing is there was within that immense growth that I had no, no clue what to do with. I, it was like an execution series that kind of took off and, and got a lot of traction. Um, let's say I got 200 comments on a post, 100 of those were a visceral emotional hatred response by someone else. Um, and I was really tested in that moment to show up as someone who's not here to counter belittle you, but someone to help teach you. And I'm proud of a lot of situations. And I've used this as a teaching point in coaching mentorship since um, where that interaction can go, because let's say within four interchanges back and forth, they ended the conversation with, man, I didn't see it that way. Thank you so much for, for doing that. When it, the comment started out, you suck, fuck you, go die or something. And it was like, dude, this is about a bench press. Like, let's just chill. But, and then, you know, you rebuttal with like, man, I'm sorry you feel that way, but have you thought about or considered this, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you get that, you know, you kind of go back and forth there. Um, but what I'm getting to essentially, I want to know kind of like where in that do you think there is, not that there's a, a reason for belittlement, but where do you think that comes from? Um, yeah, I guess just where, expand on that kind of where your head's at with that. Yeah, it's actually, uh, I think you raised a really good point. And I'm going to just hold this book up that I've got beside me. Language and Thought and Action by S.I. Hayakawa. It is one of, it's serendipitous that it's sitting uh, beside me here. It is one of the books that was extremely formative uh, in my views on this manner. Um, it's basically a book about, book on semantics but to me it was yeah a book about words and critical thinking and communication and in that he he elaborates on there's the the true value orientation or the multi-value slash uh infinite value orientation and for the most part and when we all get in a stressed out state we take that true value orientation, good, bad sort of thing. Um, and that is as that by the sounds of the people commenting on your, uh, on your post, that was the, the true value orientation. That's what they were going in there with. And the first thing to do, or sorry, the product of that is if you try and argue with someone on the true value orientation, you end up at the, the opposite extreme, basically. Say that say they're 90% Democrats, you're gonna end up 90% Republican Party. 
irrespective of how you actually feel. So the, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to fragment their viewpoint, which sounds a lot more aggressive than what it actually is. But from, a, from an emotional standpoint, it's actually getting them to understand and recognize there are multiple values between. It's not just this, you know, Holocaust denier or Holocaust definitely occurred. It's like there's, there's so many ranges of truth value sort of you know, in between. Actually, that was probably a poor example. But I get what you mean. So those listening, hopefully <laughs> yeah. you get what he means. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. Um, so with that said, I think you definitely need to connect with the person. And that is the hardest thing because that person has just, they've come at you with like, you know, sword at your throat kind of a thing. And you've got to go, hey, I see your point. <laughs> Let's talk about this rather than, you know, instantly unsheath yours. Um, so to maybe go back a step from there, I think belittling is, is never the answer. I think that, that was, you know, you listened to the podcast, that was the conclusion that, that Eric and I and James came to belittling, calling out, whatever. So if we sort of look at the people within the, you know, the evidence-based community who tend to think they are you know, sort of right on these matters, I think their approach on the, the external perspective, they might have the right answer, but their approach to knowledge still tends to be a little dysfunctional in my opinion. So as a, as a community, and this doesn't just apply to sort of the evidence-based community, it applies to many people. They approach knowledge in regards to sort of just subbing out an answer and then subbing in the right one. Oh, it's like, I believe this before, now I believe this. It's sort of, Ilyasa Yudkowsky kind of refers to this as beliefs as attire, like sort of just, you know, like you can put on a new set of clothes and be like, oh, this is what I believe today. I think the appropriate approach to knowing things is, as I said, it's sort of that, that location in knowledge space. You need to work out where that person is. And then on 360 degree axis, they might have to, you know, move left, up, inwards, outwards. Like it's, there could be multiple points that you are equal. You don't share at all the same position, but you could both possess the equal amount of say truth value. However, if you think you are closer to the truth, you need to work out where they are and then lead them back to that. So that's all probably getting a little, little difficult to visualize, but I think some of my frustrations about this, and I think the biggest, as an educator or someone who thinks they're closer to the opinion than a person who is commenting, belittling is, is the opposite of the correct answer. And I think, unfortunately, the, the best cultural example I can think of this is how adults treat teenagers. Like, as an adult, you are the only one who has been both an adult and a teenager, whereas a teenager has just been a teenager. Yet, as adults, <laughs> we know how we treat them. We treat them like, you know, kids with slabs of muscle and sex hormones like if we are to think and i'm speaking sort of very philosophically but we are closer to the truth we we can see the you know the objectivity of the situation man you're not 
you're not worth a pinch of salt if you can't sort of at least like appreciate where they're coming from. Like you are the person in the position of, of power there. But if you just dismiss them as a, as a dumb teenager, it's like you're no better than they are. And I think that that same kind of approach is how a lot of people approach education. It's like, oh, this person believes that, you know, big X next to their name, what an idiot. Like you probably had that level of knowledge one day. Like you didn't just get a PhD in nutritional sciences without like you didn't, you weren't born with that level of knowledge. You, you accrued it over time. And I think that, that accrual is a port important, but we tend to, we tend to just, I think, value the immediate display of the right answer too much. And I think that comes down to a, a tribal thing. It's like, oh, now this person believes that the insulin hypothesis is actually wrong. So they're now part of our camp. Or is that per- like, that, like, that's just knowledge on an, on an external level. Like, how did that person get to that answer is the most important thing. And I think that was like one of the points I was, I probably didn't elaborate it on as, on it as much as what I would have liked to because the article was getting lengthy, but that was the kind of point I was trying to make in uh, one of those points about how people have been responding to the coronavirus situation. I just read that uh, before we hopped on. So yeah, that, yeah. Thank you for, for giving me some of your time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, um, yeah, like there was, and I'm, I'm sure there was a similar kind of approach or sort of reaction um, where you were, but yeah, in Australia, there was, there was a lot of belittling, like, look at these idiots, like, you know, we're the smart ones who are taking this all seriously. It's like, if it's such a big deal, if it's so serious to you, you recognize you need these people to be getting inside their houses. Belittling them is not the way to get them to do that because they're going to take that true value orientation and push back just as hard as you push. You need to get them to, to see the light and that's the only way to get them to, to operate effectively in this situation, in my opinion. Sorry, I said a lot there. No, absolutely. Uh, this podcast is all about, uh, as you can see, it's just talking. Uh, it's just yeah. a conversation, man. So um, it's just built on trying to be cerebral and actually think about things and just talk through them um, in a fairly unstructured manner uh, while trying to be on point um, in a roundabout way. So there's really, if you want to go deep, you want to get feels, go whatever you want to go. Um, you have my blessing. So I think the, the start to, and again, to kind of draw back some application to coaches and, and people who uh, want to communicate to an audience um, and ultimately build a business or build a you know, following, which kind of ties back to building a business. But um, you have to be an effective communicator. And I've been around a handful of com- communicators, um, educators, teachers throughout my time in this industry. And some are much better than others. All are very bright in their own ways. Um, and there are parts of that individual that I'm like, man, I want to work up to be like that. 
but then there's always another side of things and there's very few, you know, there's anomalies where you're just like, man, you just seem like an all around, just all right, man. Like you seem like an all right dude. You're smart. You know, you, you get people, you're empathetic. You don't belittle other, like there's, there's definitely a few there. Um, but I've been around some as well that are really quick to belittle or really quick to judge. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, by default, you're not, you're not doing that person any justice. Um, because the first line of defense of, I think, effective communication, that first filter is, it's like, you know, kind of, it's like saying hello to a dog or something. Like if you get down on its level, it's a lot calmer. It's, it's a lot easier to connect with, with that animal. Um, in the same sense, I'm not speaking in terms of like hierarchy of, of power here in the sense of like this person's better than you or, or vice versa, but from the sense where you, you as the person, you as the student, and then are you as the, the teacher more so an educator to that student asking a question, if they ask a question that, you know, test your beliefs or goes against everything you've been trying to teach them. The first filter to that or effective communication has to be understanding towards where they, where that question came from. So before I even give you an answer, I needed to try. The only thing I can do at this point is try and meet you in the middle of where you're coming from and where that question came from. Because I think with understanding comes with understanding of each other comes understanding of the greater point of where you're trying to get to. Because like, let's say, let's take an outrageous or an outrage word of like the, the keto culture or any insert, whatever you want to insert there. Um, again, like you said, like we've almost like blacklisted, you know, like there's people that have just maybe not we, but there's people who, I guess that's just kind of the collective whole of what makes up the island of evidence-based fitness as it currently stands. The collective have essentially blacklisted individuals for maybe great good reasons, but maybe not so good reasons because we didn't take the time to try and understand where they were, what they were trying to ask. So I think it's important and I've had the fortune as well to work with people very in the evidence-based community. And I've also had the opportunity to work with people who are science-based, but don't live within that evidence-based community. Like if you're within science, they're on the far other end of the continuum of science-based as far as evidence, the evidence-based community and, and where they stand. And they don't speak very highly of the evidence-based community in that way. And I'm sure vice versa, you know, to an extent. So it's, it's all within the collective of science and trying to use theories and, and use objectivity to, to come to the truth and understanding of a subject, but just different ways of getting there and different interpretations of what we're looking at or what we're grading this stuff off of. Um, so I think it all starts with, with understanding. Um, and as the teacher, as the coach, 
as whoever you are as the trainer, the the best thing you, I think you can do is become a better listener and more understanding of so I, being able to listen, be patient, and un- try and understand where they're coming from, kind of like those three things. And if you can at least give someone the light of day, they're going to try, they're going to at least hopefully, by the law of reciprocation, they're going to hopefully allow you to put in your, your two cents in that, in that matter and trust. If they come to you for a coach or as an educator, you know, they're, they at least have some trust in you. So, yeah, I, I think you made, um, all excellent points. There's probably not a ton I would need to add there, but I think as an exercise, it is very beneficial for coaches. I think to, as I was sort of saying more at the start, like break out of the life they're living. Like I think in order to gain some objectivity of your life, like I guess I've always described it as just like treating yourself a bit like a case study, but you know, people say things like get the outside view or whatever. Um, We all tend to live our own lives from that, that hard inside view and just like, Oh, everything's happening to me. Like, you know, this is the way it is. And, and we get tra- stuck on those, those sort of we get stuck in our ways, one track mind. However, if you want to develop some of these skills, I think one of the best things you can do is insert yourself in some way in a hierarchy where you're at the bottom. Like as a coach, you, you tend to be looked up on a lot. And if you get too used to that feeling, the, the client that comes along with a question that, that feels like a, a threat to your, to your reign basically. Whereas I, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Um, if someone asks a challenging question, you can both likely learn something like that is, that's the ideal situation really, if you can make it so. Um, but we tend to get stuck in these positive feedback loops a little bit and just like, oh, the things that feel good, we do more of those and we do less of the things that, that feel bad. But um, yeah, like I guess I think Mark Bell has sort of like a similar, like is it white belt mentality or is it, is it Mark Bell that does that? Like I think all these, these chasing of humility, like tempering your own, uh, like confirmation bias, learning to listen to people that know more than you, they all tie into a, a similar strain of thought. And I think once once you can, you know, say you, you're a good coach, you think you know what you're doing, but then you want to learn the guitar. So you go and start learning the guitar and you, you understand what it's like to be on the lower end of that knowledge hierarchy. You then need to take like the, the abstract sense of that feeling and plug it back in over here. Like it's, if you don't have the ability to abstract, you won't have the ability to apply lessons across for like various aspects of your life. And I think to sort of go along that train of thought a little bit, like the best managers or the best coaches or the best whatever are people in high power, like higher ends of the hierarchy of whatever it is, yet they can, as you said, they can level with you. Like the CEO that can talk to the, you know, 
the cleaner. Like that is a good CEO, like for the most part, like not the person that just does it because it's a good image to be seen talking to the cleaner, but like, yeah, I think that's communicate. a thing to make point. Yeah. I like that you yeah. said that. Yeah. Don't just do it for the face value of it or the social proof of it. Do it yep. because it's the actual right thing to do. Yeah. And I think, um, like, yeah, I, I, I probably, or hopefully basically made my point. Um, it's, I think, especially for those young and up and coming coaches, like probably the kind of people that are going to be listening to this podcast, like if you're somewhere between you know, 18 and 28 or something like that, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and that's a, that's a tricky age to do it because at that age, people do treat you like you're dumb. As I said, like you're, uh, you're, you're just becoming a coach and like the coaches you listen to will almost sum up a little you. But if you can just take that for what it is, learn from them, you know, learn to reciprocate feelings um, and not be in uh, in that frame of mind where you've got to prove yourself, you can gain so much from those situations. Like I would just love to um, to give like a shout out, I guess, to, um, it, to one of the, the clients slash young coaches I've been working with. Um, Max, like he was preparing for a physique show. He came into to JPS through the sort of the Cert 3-4 program. Honestly, like, and he'll listen to this without me even, um, you know, telling him that I mentioned him and I, I won't. So I'll let him just find it sort of serendipitously. Um, he's one of the most astounding, like, young gentlemen I've, I've honestly met. Like, I know what it's like to be, you know, in your late teens, early 20s. You walk into a gym, he's a well-muscled kid and you want to prove yourself because like everyone's looking at you like you're the new. Yeah, he comes in sort of like hat in hand, pen and paper in hand, like willing to learn. He listens to our female coaches, our male coaches, our experienced coaches, our inexperienced coaches. He speaks to clients, not just powerlifters, but to the bodybuilders, the gen pop and the, you know, the weekend warriors. And his development since being at JPS is night and day. Like I told him off at the start for his caffeine intake. He was playing way too much Fortnite. He wasn't reading enough books. And I think he's like, and I'm not saying this was, this was all my doing. It is honestly all credit to him. He's, he's turned his life around in a minor extent in a very short period of time because he was willing to listen and learn. And I guess that is the sort of, that's the fairy tale situation of what people should all be be gunning for. And I guess I would just give a word of warning to people that like, don't be too quick to seem like, to feel like the guy, like don't be so protective of, of your ego because it'll feel good in the short term. And you set yourself up for sort of that, that long-term failure because you protected in the short term, but you don't learn enough to sort of cope in the long run. A bit of humility, like I, I feel like humility is sort of the the key or the foundational attribute to learning. You know, even Einstein, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, Stephen Hawking, these guys were yeah they you know definitely defended their theories with a, with a touch of uh, you know confidence, but they were still willing to to admit they were wrong ish on occasion. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I, I think it's important to mention too. I love that you, you mentioned that. And I think it's amazing. Um, so I had a similar thing happen um, when I was around 18, 19 years old. And when I entered, it's kind of when, when I first got into physique training. Um, and I think there's, there's kind of bliss in that ignorance that you have at the, at the start. And if you're fortunate enough to, to have a mentor or a surrounding or an environment that is conducive to positive learning and positive outlooks on situations and understanding where you're at, the sky's the limit because you don't feel judged that you may not know. And I think by almost by fault, I am kind of scared to become anything of the sort of, of like a, of the guy. I, I don't want to be the guy. I think I have leadership qualities and I, I think I can, I'm good at communicating different things and maybe making some different business decisions and stuff like that. But as a whole, when I, I know some stuff about, about what, you know, what we're in within the fitness community, but I, I would almost be scared or almost terrified of the thinking I was in a position where that's really it. Like I'm who everyone now looks up to. I don't want, I don't, I personally don't want that. Um, but in the same sense, I, I do want to strive for it. So it's, it's very contradictory. It's, there's the ambition to, to strive towards it, but there's the, the mindset of, of fear of actually attaining. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, other than your, your article you, you wrote about, the destination may be um, more important than the journey. Here, I think the journey is more important than that destination. And being process-oriented instead of outcome-driven, I think is, is very important. And I think to the fundamental level of, of what makes sense to me as really being an athlete and playing sports up until, you know, 18, 19 years old. And that's all I knew. The only thing that was drilled, I come from a heavy sports family. Um, And my grandfather has been one of my biggest mentors throughout my entire life. And ever since I've been alive, he was a, he was a college coach up until about, I think he retired like 12 years ago or something. But, but that the whole early stage of my developmental athletic career, all I ever heard was, was his humility. And he never asked really how I played as much as, well, did you pass the ball? Were you a team player? Did you listen to your coach? And if I, if he came to a game and I didn't do those things or I talked back or I was a wise guy and I know it all and a ball hog or whatever it was. And I, I was, I was the guy. There was, there was no admiration for that. There was no great, great game. There was just, there were just lessons to be taught. And I think I, I'm, there's a sense of so much appreciation for what he taught me with those things that I often take for granted. I think, 
Um, but the biggest thing I know for, especially as like out later on in my athletic career, the biggest thing that you were known for was I came, I, I came from a school that had nothing but talent at their disposal, essentially. And so being talented didn't mean anything as much as like, we're willing, if you're not coachable, we'll play the guy that's not as good as you. I swear on all, everything, every part of my being that I will sit you on the bench the entire season if you are an asshole to me and you don't listen and you are not coachable. And ha- hands down, especially in basketball, there were games that I sat the bench the entire time, you know, when I normally was in the starting lineup sort of situation because I needed a, t- I needed a learning lesson in the art of you're coachable, but not coachable enough, or you're coachable, but you think you know more than you do. And those lessons have just taken so much of where I am now and what I've been able to, to accumulate and learn essentially. Um, but it sounds like that's what Max has been able to do. He's just, he's coachable and he's, he, he exerts humility. And I think like you hit on that point beautifully in, in terms of humility. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of country music, I'm not really, but um, the song by um, who sings it? I don't know. It's called humble and kind. I forget who it's Kenny Chesney or I don't know. doesn't matter. Yes. What is that? Kenny Chesney. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the wife, the wife said Kenny Chesney. So, Tim McGraw. Oh, fuck me. All right. So Tim McGraw, for all those yelling at me uh, through their car speakers. One of my, like, that's one of my favorite country songs. And I'm not a huge country music fan. Mm. Uh, I'm not really a fan at all. But that song reigns true. And the, I mean, the, the main core, the main line in the song is always, you know, always be humble and kind. And I think that's honestly, like, that hits home to me because, like, that is the answer to, I think, most, if not all, development and becoming a better version of yourself and whatever you're, you're, you're diving into. Yeah. That's, that's, well, as you said, like that, that song is extremely powerful. If you know, you aren't a country music fan, but it's like, you can, you can resonate with that message without, you know, needing to have an appreciation for um, that landscape of music. But it's, yeah, I think that is, again, to Max's credit, like that is exactly the attitude he brought in. Um, and it's, it's very interesting that like you speaking about those lessons you learn um, through sport and whatnot, but I think, and I'm you know, hypothesizing here, but to your credit, like you probably would have, I think found those lessons in one way or another. Like there are, there are certain people and they, I don't want to say certain people, but there are maybe certain mindsets that are conducive to just like, you're going to learn that lesson. It's just, they just find the, they plug in whatever life event was that lesson that taught them that. Um, or like go back to the, the mentor thing. Like say you didn't have your grandfather was, it was who was, yeah. And like my grandfather was, grandfather's the exact same like um 
not necessarily from just a sporting sense, but I think he is of the people I've learned the most from in my life. It is undoubtedly him. And Same. not even just through telling me, it's just through observation. But like, I guess there are lessons out there. I guess what I'm trying to say is if you are someone who doesn't have a mentor, don't, don't get shitty and be like, oh, well, I don't have a mentor. Be that person just like, I didn't have a mentor, so I'm going to, you know, be a good mentor for someone. Or, you know, if you did have a good mentor, be that person that pays it, pays it forward again and be like, you know, I had a great mentor. I'm appreciative of that. So I'm going to do my best to help someone else. Or, you know, if you haven't got people who are leading great examples in your life, you can learn lessons from just, I think, for the overwhelming part of my life, I don't think I had tremendous examples around me. Like, as I said, my grandfather was, I, I think, just an upstanding guy and the world would be better off if there was more people like my grandparents around. Um, but a lot of the behaviour I felt around me was subpar and I probably oriented my own personal values from like, okay, that's not how I want to be. And that's, I don't want to end up like that or, and not, well, I don't even want to say from a not not judgmental perspective, it is judgmental to a degree. Like moral and correct behavior has to have an element of, I think, judgment within it. Um, And I guess all the message I'm just trying to convey is if you want to be the best version of yourself and do good things for the world, you don't need a mentor to help you do that. You don't need hardcore lessons like living through a pandemic or the death of a, you know, a loved one or, you know, your parents divorcing or anything like that. It's like you can live a very privileged life and be a great person. And I honestly think some of the people that I respect the most in the world are those people that had every opportunity to turn out like a dick and didn't. Yeah. It's like I have much more respect for them than yeah than almost anyone like it's yeah i don't know do you i guess do you understand where i'm i do yeah i absolutely do and i want to kind of second the that's almost that's almost to be exact my understanding um or my working definition of maturity is we all learn these things um and that's why I think age is the most inaccurate determinant of maturity because you've just had more at bats. That doesn't mean you're a great hitter um, or a good listener or a good observer or humble or coachable or any of these things. And so life can just go by you at this, you know, like it does anyone else. And unless you're actively listening and actively participating within it and learning these lessons actively, because a lesson often is uncomfortable to learn. And so, because by default, that would mean you didn't know it. And therefore you had to admit you did not know it. And to learn it, you know, is kind of admitting defeat there. Um, but it, yeah, that's kind of my working definition of maturity. I think you touched on it beautifully in, in kind of a, an abstract way of saying it of, yeah, 
the the accumulation of experience, whether you have a mentor. And I think if you're able to find a mentor, um, the better off you are in terms of maturing a little quicker. Um, and then, you know, obviously if you're put in a shit situation or something like that, a lot of times you have to, you have to grow up, but I don't know if you mature. Um, so I think it's the acceptance of what you don't know and the acceptance of actively pursuing something that there is to be learned from a situation of any given situation, whether that's career driven, um, personally driven. Um, and I think, you know, people like yourself or in another example, I, I would categorize you within is who I connect deeply with. It was, uh, is Luke Tollick and we've had some great conversations and he's a similar way of, of being able to seemingly be very bright and intelligent and articulate and, but at the same turn, just observant. And he's, I mean, it, it was the first time that we met, we got, we grabbed coffee um, when I was in Sydney last uh, in October. And I mean, there was, we, we sat there for two and a half hours, you know, just had coffee and just chatted. And it, just to be in the presence of someone who listens as deeply as he did was infectious. It was just like, wow. Like to know someone is listening too, and to be, to have the awareness of a listener, but, but to, to have the awareness as a listener from a listener is just like, cause now you're kind of like meta listening. Like you're, you're thinking about how well they're listening while you're trying to talk. And it's just like, fuck dude, um, that's infectious and beautiful. And it, it puts you in a, in this open mindset and this, this having this ability to just, to just be, and to just speak. And you know, that, that individual and you know, you're a great listener in the, in the, like you're listening to what I'm saying. Not so much. Obviously we're always thinking of things that like may, you know, assimilate with what we're saying, but at the end of the, the statement, it's not like, let me interrupt. Let me get my word in. As soon as the thought comes into mind, here we go. You know, it's the ability to be a good listener. But anyways, um, that sense of maturity, I think is, you uh, you explain that beautifully. Well, thank you. Um, I I was going to bring up uh, maturity at the start when you were mentioning how you've sort of got to that stage of your life where you, you feel like you can make a decision and it came from a, a good basis and it was really, that sounded like maturity is what you were speaking about and I don't think the word actually came up, but it's, I'm glad we've circled back to that. Um, but I think... I'm really glad you brought up Luke as well. One, because I've, well, three reasons. <laughs> um, one, because it reminded me that I've got to reply to one of his messages. Um, he, I, yeah, I think Luke is a fantastic guy and I couldn't sing his praises enough. Um, I had almost, and I, well, probably not identical experience from what you described though. I had a, you know, a very, very similar experience. He invited me for breakfast when he was down in Melbourne, um, him and his wife, he paid for paid for my breakfast and we had a conversation for yeah probably like near on two hours and I was sitting there talking listening like 
laughing, like chewing through some things that I wasn't sure I was like, is this the right thing to say? Like I was almost nervous. Like he, he carries a presence. He's an extremely like cerebral guy is now starting to like grow a following. Um, it's like a well-muscled dude as well. Like he, oh, you know, yeah, he yeah. carries a presence. Like, yeah. But he was sitting there like, like I could have been president of the United States sort of thing. Like he was giving me that much you know, attention and respect. And I was like, man, I'm, to you, I'm a, I'm a nobody sort of a thing. But, it's, but I, that's not the mindset he carries. Like everybody is somebody to him. And that's like he, I genuinely believe he will be, the biggest name in you know, Australian sort of the evidence-based version of the fitness scene. And, you know, when it's all sort of said and done um, because, and this sort of links back to that point you were saying, I think about uh, like being the guy, being the master, you know, being the mentor, the whatever is because he's not seeking it. He's not trying to be the guy. Right. Whereas like, and that's why he deserves the following where there's so many people trying to position themselves as the guy before they've even got really a reason to. And it's all about sort of like um, constructing the scaffolding under themselves in order to position themselves as an authority. Mm. Whereas Luke is just, he's getting up, he's studying, he's being humble, he's talking to people, he's thinking, and he's doing it all over again. And in the end, he'll, he'll probably, we have a massive following have had a massive impact and left the, the industry significantly better off. Um, than when like before he started. And I, I guess the, the final point that sort of I'll make is it, is it makes me, makes me think there's, there's some kind of quote about like the biggest character criticism of, of any uh, like presidential candidate is like they, they want to be president of the United United States or they think they should be or something like that. Whereas it's like the kind of person that should be is the kind of person that doesn't want to be. And I think that sort of, that goes back to your point about, yeah, you're not wanting to be the guy. It's because you have such a connection with what you don't know. You're so aware of your own lack of knowledge in certain areas that, that you're like, Hey guys, I'm not sure. Whereas other people that know less than you just completely blind to to what they don't know or you know their own biases and and they're like yeah i'm ready but let's do this let me be the guy in charge yeah i I couldn't agree more man and i think in that that same sense yeah with that definition like i don't even i think it's the positioning as well like you mentioned like that the positioning itself doesn't interest me and i think why i don't like politics at all um and i think it's important to to kind of understand what's happening at a base level for sure um but they don't quite interest me in that in the sense where a lot of politics are based off positioning and i don't care about positioning i don't care who like okay i'm the i'm the face of this no i'm the leader of this no like this is my name i'm this is it's like fine okay cool so I still get to teach. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. You paid me. Awesome. We're good. Everyone's happy. Um, I get to do what I want. You got to do what you want. Um, and you got the position. Sweet. Um, yeah, that positioning, that positioning itself, I think is, 
the the lack of wanting to position. Um, and I I was going to mention as well, like the more you dive in, and the what is the what's the kind of the or if there is there a name for this, um, the more you learn, the less you, you know. Kind of that the more you learn, the, the less you feel like you know. Sort of mm. concept. I don't know. Uh, Dunning Kruger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm writing a book currently, um, kind of a, a general book over strength training and there, obviously a lot of it is, um, you know, it, it's kind of driven towards general population. I mean, that's the main course of it. And so I don't have to go that deep on anything knowing myself and like, you know, I'm looking at old textbooks, I'm digging up new, I'm, I'm, I'm buying new textbooks. I'm just diving all the way into all of these subjects, you know? So if there's, you know, if I'm talking broadly on all concepts of, of this subject matter, I'm just, I want to dive into all of them as far as I can go. And the more I'm doing that, the less adequate I feel as if I should write this, you know, and it's, and then the more caught up in that I get, and then I'm just like, well, shit, you know, I, I think, I know I'm qualified and I know I can do it and, and it would turn out good and I'm excited for it and everything else. But there's just so much to the uncertainty of it, of, of that knowing how much I still don't know and it, how much, again, being the guy would terrify me because all it takes is one question. Um, and one of the, I would say one of the most, one of the things I'm most bummed about this current situation that we're in as far as kind of dampening opportunity was Luke and I were trying to, to we're organizing, like in the process of organizing a couple of different seminars to do together. And I was, man, I was fucking looking forward to doing those and just being kind of that and I hopefully they still happen I think they will but the the collective mind you know like the sense that you are that you're the collective mind of of who you, who's surrounding you you know so almost by default me speaking to you I, I'm I'm more cerebral. I'm, I'm able to go a little deeper into different things because I'm feeding off. And I think if we were in person, that would be even deeper because I'm be able to f- more feed off of that energy you're putting out. And um, just to be a little um, metaphysical there, but that in the same sense of like being able to share, and this is something I think you guys do um, that I observed from afar at JPS so well is you've collected very bright individuals, but also, you know, I, I can't speak highly, uh, more highly of, you know, guys like Jacob or Sam or Martin or, you know, any, like yourself of what I've gathered so far. Um, and I, you know, I'm more of an observer than I am a, a speaker. And so I've observed all of you way longer than, um, you know, I met those guys originally. When did you start working there? I met those guys back in 2017. Yeah, I was. I started there 2016. I see you wearing the. Um, the I did. I'm representing it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Is that, that, um, that when you met them all? Yeah, officially. Um, I met Martin actually 
we were at a, we sat next to each other at a, uh, when Menno Henselmans came over to Melbourne. Um, yeah, that same, same year, earlier that year. And then I made, ended up making the trip to JPS again. I'm, I came back because we were living on the Gold Coast. So um, made the trip back down to Melbourne. We were down there a few times. Um, but yeah, so that's when I met all of them. And I, I, I only could imagine that you were, you would have been there, right? Yeah, just probably me being me. Like I, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I'm not much of a networker. Like I, I I'm not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I wasn't sort of saying that you were. No, um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, if I, if I meet people, it is, yeah, it's always to their credit. And my lack of meeting people is certainly to my detriment. Um, I guess I, at events like that, I do sort of, I just love observing, like, I do cringe a little at the sort of, you know, all of a sudden there's a, you know, a bunch of people in the room who have large followings and, you know, everyone's trying to, you know, get whose attention or who, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I love going. I love observing and taking in what I can. And, and that's, that's disappointing that I didn't get to meet you, but like, it's like hey, we're chatting now. And as you said, like, man, if we ever get to chat in person, I'm, I'm sure it'll go deep. Yeah, man. I, I think so too. And I'm hoping, cause like one of those, one of those things with Luke was supposed to be in, uh, was supposed to be in Sydney and I was going to make my way down, uh, to Melbourne during that time as well and connect with, um, uh, Kyle trainer as well. So, mm. um, so oh, if it ever goes ahead, like, man, I, I reckon I could find my way to Sydney even. So that's, that's no stress. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, is, is there anything else you'd like to say? Any remarks, anything that you'd like to talk about? Um, that's kind of on your mind before we wrap things up. Uh, not, no, not necessarily. Like, I, I think this is like, it's not because I'm in necessarily any rush and I'm trying to get out of here. Like I just, as I said, I, it's a, a credit to you. Like you've allowed me to, to lay out my thoughts relatively well. There's, there's a ton of stuff that I, I think about obviously. And, you know, um, yeah, that there's not too much more I could say at this stage. So, yeah, just thank you. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And go ahead and um, you know, tell me or tell everyone kind of where they can where they can find your stuff and uh, the website again. And I'll I'll talk about that in the intro and and where people can find you more. But go ahead and plug that now too, um, just so we have it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, like, yeah, my own personal website, I guess, as we were speaking about, is thereforethink.org. Um, that's yeah, where I guess you'll, you'll find my, my trialing of some intellectual ideas or, you know, trying to at least almost just acquire some feedback, like half in half of them, I'm just sort of, or like they're not actually out yet. I've, I've actually written so much content that next I've got a Google doc, um, that I think it's about 38 pages long at this stage. And it's yeah, just I was like, trying to just, find some of the screenshots I was taking. Cause I'm like, this is an article. And so like when you take a screenshot of your, your computer screen, I'll screenshot that and zoom in and read it. And I, I was trying to like, I was going through and like reading, catching up on articles I hadn't read yet. And, um, I was like looking for the ones that I had screenshotted. Cause I'm like, has he expanded on this yet? <laughs> so anyways, go on. Yeah, I guess I, um, all I was going to say is, I 
half what I'm trying to do with that that side is like put some things out there and I'm, I'm not going to promise they're going to be you know, 100% correct and, and I'll try and preface you know the articles with that like if I think I'm wrong like I'll or I'm not sure or I'll, I'll do my best to say that like I, I don't want to be anyone's guru or messiah or anything like that um, but yeah I'm sort of just throwing them out there because like that's how you learn and if someone slams me down then yeah, cool. Hopefully they don't belittle me, but hopefully I learned something from it. Um, I think the process is making me better. Um, like it, this whole, this whole sort of isolation period, like now I'm, you know, I'm getting in 90 minutes of writing a day that was sort of a lot more sporadic beforehand, you know, in between coaching and, and whatnot. But yeah, I guess anyway, I won't ramble too much on that, but yeah, you can, you can find my articles there at thereforethink.org. Um, you can find me on, on Instagram at l.j.purcell, P-U-R-C-E-L-L. Um, as you said, I, I don't even post too much. Like I almost feel like I don't, I post on my story a lot because I'm like, I want to almost give people an option if they want to see it. I know they already have the option of following me or not, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's, I don't want to say it's in, insecurity because I, I honestly don't feel insecure, but I'm kind of like, I always feel like people should just have an option. I'll put it on there in the story. If you want to find me, you can find me, whatever. Um, I know Instagram's algorithms probably have a bit more to say about that. than Yeah, way more than we dictate, but yeah. Yeah, but I guess, um, you know, if you're interested in seeing some somewhat heterodox ideas, I guess, you know, you can follow me on Instagram or you can check me out at JPS. Like, and I'd imagine most people know where to, to find JPS, but yeah. JPS health and fitness, I think on Instagram or JPS underscore education. Um, the education stuff is what I'm much more, uh, aligned with and, and interested in. Um, yeah, like I, you know, you can coach people, but when you help people coach people, they can have a much larger impact and that ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. But again, just Thank you so much for your time, Austin. I, this has honestly been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've, I've had. That's amazing, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, guys. Austin here. Thank you again for listening into the episode. It means a lot. If you can, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review. This does help us grow and be found by others. Also, just wanted to mention, if you guys are interested in free education, based around training and nutrition, be sure to check out physiquedevelopment.com backslash free education, where you'll find free downloads, videos, articles, etc. No strings attached. Again, thank you. Chat soon.